From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler. We're less than a month out from the start of early voting in Georgia's midterm election, and polls show many of the races are going to be tight. Too close to call. A new Quinnipiac poll shows the race for governor in Georgia is neck and neck. The poll found 50% of likely voters supporting incumbent Brian Kemp, 48% support Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams. The race to represent Georgia in the U.S. Senate is neck and neck. Some polls say Senator Raphael Warnock will hold on to a seat, while others say challenger Herschel Walker could prevail. And overall, the U.S. Senate could stay under control of the Democrats or be flipped by Republicans. Who's right? Who's wrong? And who is going to win? Polling is certainly our best tool for measuring how people feel about an issue, how people plan on voting in an election, but it is not perfect. And there are um, lots of ways that it can go wrong. The answer is less complicated than you think, but it requires a better understanding of what opinion polling can and cannot tell us. So it can really sort of give you a sense on the ground that can help you understand a race beyond what you might know just from hearing what the campaign says or talking to people around you. This week, we'll talk with two top experts and break down the good, the bad, and the statistically significant parts of political polling. There's a common refrain in the political sphere that the only poll that counts is the one on election day. But public opinion polling about campaigns and issues do serve a valuable role in capturing sentiments ahead of an election. So before we jump ahead, let's talk about what exactly a poll is. So the first thing that pollsters love as a saying is to say that it's a snapshot. It's not a prediction. So what you're doing is you're talking to a random sample of, you know, certain number of voters across the state and that group of people who you talk to hopefully will represent the larger electorate. And what it will tell you is if the election were today, what those people think they would vote for, what their vote choice would be. Ariel Edwards-Levy is the polling and elections analytics editor at CNN. And obviously, there are a lot of potential failure points in even just that description. You might not get a group of people who are completely representative of the electorate as a whole. You might um, find out that the people who you think are going to turn out to vote are different than who ends up actually turning out to vote. People might change their minds between when you talk to them and when they end up voting. But what that does tell you is it does give you for the most part, a generally good sense about the state of a race, whether it's close, whether it's not close, whether one candidate is particularly disliked, if you're asking about the candidate's qualities as well as just who you vote for. So it can really sort of give you a sense on the ground that can help you understand a race beyond what you might know just from hearing what the campaign says or talking to people around you. Take Georgia's U.S. Senate race, for example. Overall, more polls find voters saying they would support incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock than Republican Herschel Walker, but usually by just a few percentage points. In this particular snapshot in time, you could say that Warnock is in the lead among those voters that were asked that question in those polls. But how are pollsters able to paint that picture by asking only several hundred to a few thousand people? The entire point of a survey is to capture a representative sample of the people you're talking to. And there are two ways that you do that. One is by sampling, which is how you find the people who you're surveying. And one is 
by waiting, which is how you look at those numbers after you've talked to people to make sure that they actually do reflect the electorate that you want to see. Edwards Levy says it used to be pretty easy to get a random sample of phone numbers, call people up, and get a pretty representative sample of voters because it used to be that everyone had a landline and usually answered the phone. Nowadays, the rise in cell phones, spam calls, and a move towards digital communications means polling has had to adapt. Other people will still make phone calls, but instead of just randomly calling numbers, they'll use something called the voter file, which is basically taking public data, which is which elections you voted in the past, not how you vote, but the fact that you did vote. And then there are these vendors that will attach some additional demographic information. And there are other ways that people are looking at as well. There are polls conducted online now, and they're that's a whole vast world of how you find people online. There are reputable polls that are done online. It is incredibly possible to do that, but it is also possible to do things where you're not really getting a great um, sample of people. You can also do things like sending out postcards to people from their addresses because people do actually still check their mail. So that's a long-winded way of saying that there's just been sort of an explosion of various ways to try to reach people. So one thing to consider when evaluating a poll snapshot is to examine how it reaches out to potential participants. Edwards Levy says that's one of several transparency factors that separate a reputable, reliable poll from one that should create more skepticism. As a minimum standard, you should not be willing to take at face value a poll where the pollster is not very willing to talk about, okay, how did we conduct this poll? Who was it done on behalf of? Who did we talk to? How did we find them? What exactly did we ask them? And those sort of basic transparency standards don't guarantee that a poll is going to be right, but if they're not there, you know, polling data is not magic. You should take it with the same sort of skepticism that you'd apply to any sort of news where you would want to say, well, okay, how do you know that? How do you know what you're telling me? So I think that is just sort of the absolute baseline. That's something that Nathaniel Rakich, senior elections analyst at polling outlet 538, agrees with. In the end, the goal is to get um, a sample that looks like the you know, whatever broader um, population you're trying to to poll. So, in, you know, in the case of Georgia, you'd want to make sure that it is racially, the racial composition is similar. You want to make sure that the age composition is similar, the gender composition. Um, other folks will, will wait by other variables. Another variable that is important to consider when looking at poll numbers is the margin of error, which accounts for the variation that comes with only talking to a sample of voters instead of an election, which technically talks to all of them. Every poll does come with a margin of error um, that basically, you know, it's the thing that will say, you know, Brian Kemp, 48 percent, Stacey Abrams, 44 percent margin of error, plus or minus four percentage points. And what that basically means is that, you know, anytime you are, you know, looking at an entire, you know, the whole population of the state of Georgia, but you're only sampling, you know, say 600 people uh, within that state, you're again, there's going to be some variation. It's actually impressive that statistically speaking, those 600 people can be pretty representative of the, you know, however many million people live in Georgia. Um, but of course, it's not going to be exactly precise. And that's what that margin of error means. And basically, it means that, you know, in this case, you know, in that hypothetical 48 to 44 poll, um, if it is a plus or minus four point margin of error, it means that Brian Kemp at 48%, he could be as high as 52%. 
he could be as low as 44%. And it means that Stacey Abrams, uh, from her number at 44%, could be as high as 48 and could be as low as 40 Polling experts like Rakich and Edward Sleavy say you should consider horse race polling matchups like these as a range of likely outcomes. And with many Georgia polls for Senate and governor being within the margin of error, you should come to the conclusion that they are very close races. Polling data, I think the best way to treat it is the way that you would treat any other information that you see about a campaign, which is you know, to look at what it does tell you and not try to turn it into something that has all the answers or has exact answers, because if you do that, it will be useless. But if you accept the limitations that polling does have, it can really tell you a lot about the state of the political environment, the state of the state around you, and sort of what you might want to know about the upcoming election. Coming up after the break, we dive into some of the more recent polls of Georgia's Senate and Governor's race to parse out what they are telling us in these final weeks. We'll be right back. This is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler, and we're talking about the positives and pitfalls of political polling. Before the break, we discussed how polls are conducted, what results can and can't tell us, and things to look for when evaluating polls. Ariel Edwards-Levy, the polling editor at CNN, reiterates that who is conducting the poll and who they talk to are some of the most important factors. You want to look at how they're talking about voters. How are they deciding which voters they think are going to turn out? What sort of assumptions are they making? According to the Associated Press's VoteCast survey after the 2018 midterm election, 63% of that election's voters in Georgia were white and 31% were black. 53% of voters were women and 22% were over the age of 65. Stacey Abrams narrowly lost that year by about 55,000 votes. Two years later in the presidential race, the share of white voters slightly increased while the share of black voters and those over the age of 65 decreased. It's impossible to know who and how many people will show up to vote in 2022, but even the slightest shifts in demographics and turnout could change who wins and could change how polls could be interpreted. Take the most recent Quinnipiac Governor's Race poll conducted September 8th through 12th. Pollsters talked to nearly 1,300 likely voters and have Kemp up by two with a margin of error of 3.7%. Based on our newfound poll evaluation knowledge, we should see that Kemp is likely ahead, but the race is quite close. Digging deeper, the poll also shares its cross-tabulation report, or cross-tabs, which looks at the relationships between different subgroups, like white people who support Brian Kemp. The Quinnipiac polls cross tabs don't show the specific share of voters that have demographic characteristics, but their support for the two candidates largely matches where they were in 2018. For example, 2018 AP VoteCast data showed 25% of white voters supported Stacey Abrams, and the latest poll has her at 26% with that subgroup. Across the board, that poll with Abrams down two points has her performing about the same as 2018 when she lost by 1.4 points. Even these subgroups have their own margins of error, depending on how many people responded, so the crosstabs should be taken with their own grains of salt at times. And then I think the other thing is just context. Because there are a lot of polls out there, at a certain point, 
I'm not saying, you know, take every single poll equally, but it does make sense to sort of look at things in context as a whole. Is this something that's showing something radically different than all the other polls are fighting? Take four recent Georgia polls that all show Herschel Walker ahead of Senator Raphael Warnock. Are they signs that the Republican is ahead in this crucial election time or outliers that should merit further examination? Well, for starters, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, University of Georgia, Fox 5 Insider Advantage, Emerson, and Trafalgar polls all have margins of error greater than Walker's margin over Warnock, so the proper way to read them is as a tie. Meanwhile, the well-established Quinnipiac poll has Warnock up by six points outside their margin of error. In this case, that deeper examination yields some possible explanation. Insider Advantage and Trafalgar did not share their crosstabs or detailed methodology of their polls, so that raises some questions about who they spoke to and how it compares to the likely electorate. Meanwhile, the AJC UGA poll has a sample that is older than the average electorate and more than 50% Republican, potentially a higher share than what the electorate will be too. Edwards-Levy says outside of traditional polls, you also need to be aware of partisan pollsters and polls released by campaigns or issue groups. Because if you're talking to about campaign or issue groups that are releasing polls, they have a reason for doing that. And it's not that campaign pollsters aren't good. They have very powerful incentives to get it right for the campaigns they're working for to make sure that they're giving them good data. But if they're releasing data, then their incentive to do that is often to try to influence discussion, which means that they're not going to necessarily release numbers that don't tell the story they want to tell. So when the Stacey Abrams campaign's internal poll has her down two points to Brian Kemp, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but that you should consider the source and look at what other information they release. As we head into the final days of this election cycle, it's appropriate to operate under the assumption that Republican Governor Brian Kemp and Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock have the advantage headed into the election, and that the cliche of who shows up to vote will decide the actual winners. And it's appropriate to take a more measured response to any polls that come out between now and then and consider all of the information when trying to figure out where things stand. Here's Rakich on the pros and cons of reading polls both individually and writ large. Polling is certainly our best tool for measuring how people feel about an issue, how people plan on voting in an election, but it is not perfect. And there are um, lots of ways that it can go wrong. Um, It usually doesn't go wrong by that much, um, but it can sometimes be important in a state like Georgia, where, you know, in recent years, you've had some very close elections. Edwards Levy says you'll give yourself a headache trying to go in depth on every single poll in every single race, and you should focus on the big picture instead. I think to go back to the snapshot analogy and maybe belabor it a little bit further, it's a lot of people taking you know, snapshots of varying blurriness from varying cameras of varying quality from different angles. And if you put them together and you sort of look at them all together, you can sometimes get a pretty good picture of what the state of a race is. And so if you're seeing a bunch of polls saying the race is pretty close, I think what you can take away from that is this is a fairly close race. The next time you see a push alerting you to the so-and-so poll that has your desired candidate up or down, be sure to look at the bigger context, consider the source, and in case you forgot, remember that Georgia is a battleground state and most elections will be closer than not. 
Battleground Ballot Box from Georgia Public Broadcasting is produced by me, Stephen Fowler. Our editor is Josephine Bennett. Our engineer is Jay Cook and Jesse Neiswanger wrote our theme music. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.